I met Vadis at the beginning of the last decade, 2009, going into 2010. Uh, now we're leaving 2019 and going into 2020. And 10 years later, her work is uh, evolving in the most wonderful ways. Um, as a person, she is dynamic and giving. Uh, she's so intelligent and well-read. And her work really is adding uh, a dynamic to female created art. I mean, art in the USA in general, but in terms of uh, women artists, I think uh, she really does have a special place in our contemporary dialogue. I hope you enjoy this uh, podcast interview as much as I enjoyed uh, speaking with Vadis Turner. Hi, buddies. Okay, we're starting now. Yeah, we're yeah. starting. Hello. I'm so How glad you? to see you. I'm glad to see you as well. I'm glad I'm the first person practically that you've seen now that you're back in New York for, what is it, 24 hours? It's basically 24 hours, wow. yes. It's well, like I, the you, extreme uh, version of wow. dropping in. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, art sports. It is art sports. <laughs> I'm like tearing through this town and then I'm out. So what, uh, what did you come for besides uh, our lovely little podcast here? What are you doing in the city? Uh, that you used to live in for quite a few years for 15 years wow. and I left while I was still having fun so it's really amazing to come back mm-hmm. and it's a gorgeous day I know that the listeners mm-hmm. can't see but it's really beautiful uh, yeah. why am I here so I have some business and pleasure today uh, most importantly um, the gallery that I work with in New York Geary Gallery my next show with them is in September And so I met with them because I always love meeting with them, but they are moving to the Lower East Side, and so I wanted to see that space so I can best prepare for the show. So that was sort of numero uno. There are a bunch of shows. I cruised through Chelsea today that I wanted to see, and um, I'm going to go see To Kill a Mockingbird tonight on Broadway, and then tomorrow I'm going on an ayahuasca journey in Long Island. Wow. I know. (laughs) I love that. Did you see that coming? No, I I know. I didn't especially (laughs) see it coming because in 24 hours, I can't even imagine how anyone could do that much. But I think if you do ayahuasca, you realize that time is all so relative. So Well, to be fair, the ayahuasca journey is not part of the 24 hours in the city. That is in Long Island. So that's that's the second half of my um, New York State trip. And is this the first time that you've met uh, the grandmother, as some people call her? Oh, um, yes. Well, actually, I mean, over the phone and, and FaceTime, but... Oh, right. the grandmother. The grandmother meaning the plant itself. Oh, yeah. um, yes. This is the first time I'm meeting the grandmother. I've never done it before, and I feel open and well, That's a good, good. start. And yeah. did you do the dieta before? No. Hmm. Okay, you know well, more about this than I do. Well, maybe we'll just... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll discuss that after. Yeah, you want to discuss to say, it more. Because oh, you never know. I mean, you know, this is sort of a part of the so-called journey where uh, these things happen before, during, and after. And then you realize that all those things that came into place were feeding the whole experience yeah. that you signed up for. Anyways. Well, actually, I mean, you know, in the in the orientation that I have had, and I intentionally haven't done a lot of research about it, but I, I didn't even know the grandmother reference. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited and open to it anyway, but that actually makes so much more sense for me and my work that meeting the plant is meeting the grandmother. Mm-hmm. So now, anyway, yeah. thank you for that because it resonates. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll <laughs> talk a bit about it, uh, I think, after we get off, just because uh, on some levels, you know, uh, the Western world that we live in, this mm-hmm. uh, sort of 
what's the word capitalist society yeah that's it uh, <laughs> it's pretty much the antithesis of how things are done here yeah. uh, to engage with plant medicine which mm -hmm. that is one of the highest order of plant medicine is to somehow go against the grain of society which is all about building these structures which we can live in a box in and explain and wake up and go buy something and then make money to buy more stuff exactly <laughs> but anyways we'll talk about that after because that could take us probably forever yeah but well I, needless to say it's an extreme juxtaposition of what i'm doing while i'm in manhattan to what i'm doing for the second half of the weekend but i'm glad to be here with you for this chunk of it yeah absolutely and um i'm glad you brought that up because uh, it really is one of my favorite topics of all time Good. I'm so <laughs> glad I answered honestly. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep the beat with that. Yeah, well, the last uh, woman who I had on the podcast, Lindsay Nobel, she also is uh, what we would call a seeker, and she's done some similar plant explorations and stuff like that. But um, so, okay, tell us a little bit about the work. What's coming up at the Gary... Um, Gary. Well, so uh, my solo show at Gary will be in September, yeah. and I currently have another solo show on view at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs, so on the whole other side almost of the country, yeah. and that will be up until December the 8th. So that show is, like I said, at University of Colorado in the Ent Center for the Arts at the Marie Walsh Sharp Gallery of Contemporary Arts. It's a mouthful, but I like all the parts of it, and the show is called Megaliths. So um, I can talk a little bit about that show and sort of how it represents kind of the, the bigger picture of my work. Mm -hmm. But uh, Megaliths is a series of four very large scale wall relief, reliefs that were inspired by megalithic rocks and made out of used bedsheets. So bedsheets that have been slept in by men and women for countless hours, women from my community, which I live in Nashville, Tennessee now. And then all of the sheets have been hand dyed and mostly hand sewn, sometimes stuffed with polyfill and buckwheat. Um, the research for the show was really, really interesting. I mean, I sort of went back into, I mean, you know, my Art History 101 classes, which, you know, I haven't really read much about <clears throat> the Neolithic era in a long time, but it was really fun to go back and to um, revisit sort of what that, what man's acts of marking the landscape were then and how that influenced art history you know sort of moving forward and how that manifests itself now but specifically for me you know so when you think about megaliths i think of that as um one of man's first mark intentional markings of the landscape and most of most megalithic rocks were erected along with st uh, stone circles were created in the neolithic era and what's also interesting about that time, it's when ancient man started to farm and domesticate animals. And so if you put these three moments together in man's evolution of erecting stones, uh, megalithic rocks, mm -hmm. domesticating plants, mm -hmm. and domesticating animals, these mm -hmm. are man's like er earliest primal acts of domestication. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, these acts are very sort of macho and male, mostly led by men for probably, you know, strength reasons. Mm -hmm. And then when you compare primal acts of domestication with contemporary acts and notions of domestication, that's very female. So all of these works kind of want to bring together these primal and contemporary acts of domestication in these large textile works. Wow. It's wow. a mouthful, but it, yeah. was a, it was a hell of a project to, to research and mm -hmm. to bring my materials into. 
and it was really, um, it was great. And how big are the works? Uh, they're roughly about 12 to 13 feet tall and then ranging from 6 to 12 feet wide. And they're about you know six to eight inches deep, depending on the piece. So they are megalithic. They are megalithic, yes. Wow. And when is that happening? That's happening now. Now, wow. And that ends in a few weeks, December the 8th. Okay, that sounds good. And the Gary Art Gallery is in September of 2020? Correct. Okay, so it's a little ways away still. Yes. All right. Um, I can't remember what I sent you earlier, so I'll take a look at the list. Um, so that's your most recent body of work there, the Megalithic series. Yes, and then I made a new piece for Nada Chicago this September mm -hmm. that is going to really be the departure point for the September show. So mm -hmm. it was the, yeah, I made, um, it's another large scale and it's inspired by the Megaliths too, but it's called Misguided Portal. So I'm mm -hmm. still working with bed sheets and this time I encrusted the bed sheets in these charred bits of wood that have been resined onto the bed sheets. And what's really interesting about that is the charred bits of wood, which I collect from the landscape where I live and work. So, mm -hmm. you know, working in Tennessee gives me like a whole new dimension to my palette, not yeah. to mention sort of like the physical and visual scope of what I can make. But um, yeah. but in general, all the materials that I use, I my intention is to have them transition in some way, to have them turn. Mm -hmm. So I want to use materials that are inherently connected to women's work or domestic work that are feminine or feminist, mm -hmm. depending on your definition, which is, is something that you did ask me about a little bit earlier. Right. But um, how can I get those materials and use them in a way that disassociates them from their original function? Right. So in the case of the bed sheets, how can I get something that is that is domestic, that has been slept in, that is usually horizontal, that is flexible and that's malleable, and how can I like literally erect it, put it on a wall, uh, make it rigid, make it vertical, and, and sort of have it turn on itself. Right. And with the portal piece that I made for Chicago that I was just talking about, that it was encrusted in these in these burnt chips, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to know what that is anymore. It becomes something else. So it sort of transitions from being something that's from nature or something that was once slept in yeah, yeah but like also that what was like burnt or dead or mm -hmm. destroyed becomes recharged and reactivated and mm -hmm. it's it's such an interesting challenge to describe visual works mm -hmm. um in an audio piece but you know i think the best way to describe them is they kind of look like geodes they sort of sparkle and i think they're enticing in some way but they're also sort of treacherous mm -hmm. and um almost like barbed wire so but however you interpret it they they turn on you it's right. like the materials kind of have this new this new sass, this new attitude, this new way of being seen. Mm -hmm. And I think that really speaks to the trajectory of all of my work. I want, I want to translate and redirect all of these materials into something else. Right. And I like it when they have a dark side and I mm -hmm. like it when they have an attitude. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in that way, I guess your work is sort of feminist in the sense that it's coming up against those uh, structures that were, like you said, man-made, whether it's, uh, you know, the megaliths or art itself or stuff related to that and if I may I mean you know yes yeah, so I think the work is all you know like it's all charged by these feminine materials that's definitely the departure point for all of them mm -hmm. but with these megalithic works comparing sort of traditionally male or traditionally female work you know how can the works be about a space in between the gender roles mm -hmm. and the expectation for gender mm -hmm. and simultaneously I want the works to be hard to classify I want them to be in between sculpture and painting I want them in, to be in between you know, the wall and the floor, and mm -hmm. in between, you know, f functional and non-functional. So, right. so I, I like that whole space. I don't really want to cling to one 
or the other. definition or one end of it. Do you still find time for teaching? I love teaching, mm-hmm. but the unfortunate answer is I'm not teaching now. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's better for everybody, but mm-hmm. you know, I taught at Pratt's mm-hmm. Institute for 10 years mm-hmm. in the foundation department. I taught mm-hmm. this wonderful class called Light, Color, and Design, mm-hmm. and it's one of the few things... I love New York, but I, I really mm-hmm. miss teaching that class. Right. Um, I did some... I did two semesters as a visiting artist at Vanderbilt when mm-hmm. I moved to Nashville, mm-hmm. and I've been visiting some schools just as a visiting artist or as a guest speaker, but no, I'm not teaching yeah. on a regular basis now. But I imagine you're doing a lot of teaching with the little ones. How old are your kids now? Uh, so I have two sons. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is four and one is seven, oh, wow. and yes, parenting is teaching, and teaching is, you know, so I'm doing a lot of that too. So your youngest one was born 2015? Yes. What month? Uh, September. Both are born That's in September. That's amazing. Yeah, we have to get them together, mine and yours, because yours is in September, mine is October. Oh, very but good. That, that's I another. Love that. that will be funny. Yeah, I think we that can do will... lots of podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do lots of something. <laughs> but um, something you said just now, and it was feeding into one of the questions as well. Yeah, basically, uh, how do you balance the work with the children and the work that you have to do in the studio? I mean, I think I, I mentioned in the question uh, earlier when I sent you uh, that Jeff Koons, for example, is very uh, fertile, both in terms of how much work he makes <laughs> and how many yeah. kids he has. Uh, like, yeah, how do you feel? he sure is. Yeah. Uh, you do what you gotta do. I mean, you know, this is like a weird way to make a living and I, I have this, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life, both mm-hmm. versions of it. You mm-hmm, know, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be a mother to these two boys and mm-hmm. I'm supposed to, to make this work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do they feed each other? I think, I mean, that really changes on the month. That changes on what's going on with the boys and what's going on in my studio. Mm -hmm. And I don't look to them for answers Mm -hmm. or guidance in the studio, just Mm -hmm. as I don't look into the studio as guidance for them. So I'd like to say I keep it very separate. Mm -hmm. However, I do think there is one, um, there's certainly one thread that comes to mind that does connect my parenting with my art making, and, Mm -hmm. and that's editing, which I it's sort of a surprising answer when I thought of it, but it's true. It's like, you know, when I'm, when I'm with my children and we are, we've had an experience being a surprise one or a planned one, you know, when you're explaining something to a child, you really want to get down to the essence. Like what's the most important element or moment or what are the nuts and bolts of this moment? And that could be a disagreement that they're working out between each other or Mm -hmm. a life lesson. I mean, you don't really know what it's going to hand you right but really like what's the essence of this moment and what's the most important thing right and because you don't really have the time nor do they have the bandwidth to add all these bells and whistles and unnecessary crap to it and in the studio too it's I'm at a point in my practice where the most challenging and the most important thing I can do is edit to subtract everything that is unnecessary and to have the confidence to say like it's about this right this is the thing that I'm talking about and that this is enough and so in this recent body of work I really Really pared down my palette. I pared down my shape language. I mean, the work. The, I mean, it's it's um, not conceptually simple, but visually things have been really pared down, and I hope well edited. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a similarity I see between what I do in the studio and what I do at home. Wow. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good uh, lesson in life in general. I think someone said in terms of uh, us evolving as souls, we never have to really add anything. It's just stuff that we should get rid of. Yeah, that will help us along the way. Right. Yeah. Um, I know you have a few works in public institutions like the Brooklyn Museum, 
Would you say there's a strong enough presence of young female artists in these institutions? And what advice would you give to young artists to get their works into museums, uh, I guess, nationally and otherwise? I mean, that's a heck of a question. And I feel like if I really knew the formula or the answer for that, my resume would look really different. Right, Although right, I'm right. hopeful that, it, that that list of, of right. being in public collections continues to grow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the advice I'd give other art, I don't know that I'm well positioned mm -hmm. to advise on that, right. to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, I'm certainly thankful for the collections that I'm in and want to be in more, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to get in. And, it actually goes back to editing and truth telling. It's like I'm not going to get into any collections mm -hmm. if I don't fully invest in my practice. Like right. if I'm not doing something that matters, if I'm not telling the truth, if mm -hmm. I'm not like giving it my all, like the, mm -hmm. I think people see. You know, authenticity. Viewer, right, exactly. So it's like if you can't, you can't put one thing before the other. Right. right. So in other words, do the work. Do the work. Yeah. And uh, make it count. Yeah. And yeah. trust. I think it's like you got to trust what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. As silly or as, as simple as it is, maybe the better, the more mm -hmm. simple it is. But to mm -hmm. to know that that's enough and to trust in it and just make the work about that and to not overcomplicate it. Yeah. Yeah. And to know how to, you know, well, anyway. Um, and where do you see your work going in the future? I mean, uh, in some ways, you're still an emerging artist, but uh, your practice is quite, uh, quite yourself or quite gelled in terms of uh, being your work. It's, I think it would be hard to see your work and think it was any other artist. So where do you see yourself growing? I mean, I love that you say that because I don't, I hope that's true for everybody. I mean, my work changes. I, I really do mm -hmm. pivot quite a bit in my work, you know, mm -hmm. going from like making these ribbon paintings into mm -hmm. making these rigid megaliths. I mean, the work, in my mind, it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. In my mind, they're all connected, mm -hmm. although, you know, you know, obviously things change. But um, so where do I see the work going? I mm -hmm. mean, this next body of work, I really do want to continue with this encrusting the wood and um, they're getting more and more rigid and more and more sculptural. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I started this mixed media practice, <clears throat> I, mean, I studied painting as an undergraduate and mm -hmm. then I started a mixed media practice, um, I guess, in 2000 where I started to redirect and translate materials from the domestic sphere into installations and sculptures. And that was stimulating for a good while, but having studied painting, I thought about everything as a painting, but I wasn't right. making any paintings. Right. And I, I don't think I'm ruining this for anybody, if I am giving advice to any younger artists, like mm -hmm. this is a totally terrible way to make a living. I mean, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's very feast or famine, and yeah. you do it because you have to, but it's not like a regular way to make, make some to make some yeah. dough. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but so terrible way to make a living, but you have to be honest with what you want to do, and you have to follow what interests you. And so I thought about everything as a painting, mm -hmm. but I wasn't making any paintings. Mm -hmm. So a real challenging moment in my practice was in 2009 when I wanted to re-engage with the wall and make paintings out of this, these mixed mixed media, these feminist mixed right. mixed media materials that I've been making sculptures with. So like I, the tampons or the, I mean, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the materials, because that's when I met you, I think, somewhere after the turn of the century. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, we did meet at a really yeah. I mean, interesting moment just in terms of my work pivoting. Yeah. But I had just made, if I have it right in mm -hmm. my mind, so in 2009 I made my dowry. So mm -hmm. I made a series of contemporary heirlooms that sort of measured my worth as a woman, as an artist, and I did it in the year of my marriage. Mm -hmm. But instead of using the dowry in a traditional way, which in my opinion is, you know, I'm the way it's done in many parts of the world is that the wife or the wife's 
for the women's family, they they give this, they exchange this collection of sort of culturally relevant or valuable goods, and they give it to the husband's family to secure this woman's place in in fam in the family and to sort of seal the deal of the marriage. Mm -hmm. But instead of using mine that way, I used it only for my own um, financial and professional gain. Right. So I made this dowry, I exhibited it, what I couldn't sell, I traded. I mean, mm -hmm. I sort of stripped it like a stolen car, right? <laughs> and just kind of used it for every advantage I could. Yes. And um, an important piece in the dowry was this tampon wedding cake, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there's one large tampon wedding cake that's in the installation reception, which is in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. Right. And I'm so glad it's there. Mm -hmm. And that was really the last work I made in, in dowry, this reception. Mm -hmm. But so with the next body of work, I wanted, as I was saying, I wanted to re-engage with the wall mm -hmm. and start to paint with these materials. Paints in quotation, because I'm not really using wet media. But right. how can I translate these materials into brush strokes? Mm -hmm. And so the first one I made, um, to try and figure out how to do this, in my mind, I, I got the tampon wedding cake. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I lit it on fire and slammed it against the wall and made a composition yeah. that um, represented sort of this, this decorative ceremonial element from a wedding with this destructive agent of fire. And the right. composition came from that. And I think I still partner mm -hmm. um, these ceremonial elements with these destructive um, elements in one way or another still that's continued for me but that's how it started and right. we met around that time yes and who would you say have been your influences uh, as a young artist growing up or even now like work you see or work that engages you well most recently I've been looking at a lot of um, male abstract uh, not all abstract expressionist certainly, but with the Megalith show, I looked a lot at Philip Gustin, and I hadn't looked back at him in a long time. And all of his work was everything looks like a megalith. I mean, you know, when you're drunk on an idea, you know, it's like I see a head and how he positions it, like it's on a landscape and it becomes a megalith. And the way he puts yeah. these shoes together, they yeah. become megaliths. And the way he plays with scale is so mm -hmm. exciting. Mm -hmm. Also, his like confidence and his bravado in the work is really interesting yeah. to me and something that I definitely want to emulate in my work. Yeah. Same with Julian Schnabel, um, an artist. His plate, plate paintings mm -hmm. in particular have been really interesting to me because a plate is a domestic object that I think is more associated with with women's mm -hmm. work than with men's work. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's why he's using it, but um, also some of the plate paintings that he has created remind me a lot of cave paintings that I was looking at. Interesting, I never of, thought about that. Yeah, it was really exciting, but I mean sort of how you're like making your mark and, and, and sort of pasting up on the wall kind of what symbolizes your culture and mm -hmm. what you use with your hands and what you're sort of aspiring to, to tame, yes, be yes. it a beast or a, mm -hmm. you know, a material object. Yes, yes. And how he breaks them. Anyway, so mm -hmm. those are people that I looked at for this recent Well, I actually am glad you uh, brought those guys up because the next question feeds perfectly into that. Um, one collector recently observed that the hardest thing to sell right now is the... <laughs> straight white male artist. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, there's a whole push now in museums and outside for this diversity. I mean, you see it this week at the auctions. There's some faces, some names, some people of color that you've never even heard of mm -hmm. that are selling. So how, what do you think, how do you see your work fitting into this and contributing to art history in terms of being female and being a non, well, we don't know, you might be Cherokee Indian, you never know, <laughs> you never know. But how do you see your work contributing to this whole art historical unfoldment? 
And that's an incredible question, and I, I hope no pressure, some, of yeah, no. I mean, I hope someday someone brilliant will write about that. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think. I mean, that's a hard question to drill right into, and I'm trying to, but um, mm-hmm. you know, who's buying what, and who, and 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 who's in vogue. I mean, you know, I I don't make those decisions. The decisions that I make are, you know, what. I'm responding to in the greater cultural sphere and what work I make from that. And something that I'm really happy about is that all of the artists, you know, of this time were all responding to the same cultural stimuli. And although we might be different in terms of race or in terms of gender, we Mm -hmm. all are responding in similar or different ways to the cultural stimuli that, that's, that's sort of percolating right now. Of our time, yes. Of our time. Yeah. So I'm glad to be connected in that way, mm-hmm. and I, I actually get more, I've, I'm at a point now where instead, when I see people who are making work that's similar to mine, instead of wanting to resist that and reject that or have it bring me down, I'm, I'm really trying to get excited about it, that we're onto something, right? right? You right. Know, that I'm like part of this pulse. Yes. But something that I think is very under celebrated and recognized um, kind of in the art world are artists who aren't working in New York or mm-hmm, LA. Mm-hmm. That's right? my next so, question. Yeah, actually. so it's like, you know, you have these like poles, mm-hmm. right? Like almost like the East and the West pole of our yeah. country. And, you know, there's a lot, of, you know, there's a lot of shit going down politically and culturally. I mean, I know every, mm-hmm. not that anyone hasn't noticed, but I'm making artwork in a red state, <laughs> which is, has a lot of pros and cons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, the, Politics isn't necessarily directing my work. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's not the sole stimulus of my work, but it's really interesting working with other artists in the middle of the country. Right. And I feel like that's a very underrepresented group, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Biennial didn't have any artists from the middle. Yeah. And as everyone's <laughs> very revved up, yeah, either yeah, yeah. blue or, yeah. or, um, or red, whatever mm-hmm. team you're on, like yeah. everyone's really revved up. Yeah. And I think there's a, people are shifting their gaze inward to say, like, all right, well, who are the people who are voting and making right. these election decisions right. in the swing states and in these red states and what's happening and why and what are the artists in that area doing? So I think there's a shift of focus, but I don't know that the, like, you know, the recognition isn't really happening. I don't feel like those artists, um, the people who are working kind of in the middle, I don't know. I guess I wish for them and for myself that that, um, that geographic diversity was... Um, Kind of more more broad thank you yeah so, so what exactly goes on down there in Nashville Tennessee <laughs> in terms of the arts I mean I know it's great for music I hear a ton of people talk about going yeah. down there and, and doing music but what what is going on with art like well okay so politics and, aside right uh-huh. like uh, yeah, politics know, aside let's go politics aside because I'm a huge politics person but sometimes I meet someone and they're completely red I like the person. Sure. Because, you you know, if you forget about red and blue, we're still people yeah. with red blood. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Well, and so what I was saying me. before, it's like, you know, standing besides your, you know, standing behind your interest and telling the truth. I mean, that's a beautiful thing that right. should connect us all, you know, yes. irrelevant of how you vote. Yeah. Uh, so what's going on in Nashville? I'm, you know, Nashville has got a very a small, but a strong and a very generous artist community. And I really mean all of those right. words. Yeah. You know, there are lots of people who are moving kind of from these these polls, as I was saying, because they can't afford it, right? right? You know, when they're moving from New York or LA Mm -hmm. and they're filtering into Nashville because they, you know, want to have a higher quality of life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly I have a much bigger studio. You know, I can afford to make bigger work because I have a bigger Mm -hmm. space. I even have like a gorgeous view. I mean, I work out of my family's home, so it's free to boot. But I mean, for most people, it is a lot cheaper to live there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, 
yeah, there are lots of expats and mm-hmm. there are people who have very strong practices who are working in Nashville. And I, I just find the community there to be incredibly welcoming, stimulating, and generous. People want yes. to make things happen. They want to include you. Mm-hmm. They want to have conversations. And um, and you really get to feel like you're part of it. It's not hard to find. Yeah. You know, you can go... You can go to the art crawl the first Saturday of the month, and like mm-hmm. you're with your people, and you're all seeing the same things. And um, are there any like big collectors out there, like how we have, let's say, a few big names in New York? Can you are there any guys down there? I don't know of any. So I, I mean, yes, there are some people collecting work, but there aren't any like major heavy hitters, right? Right. right. Um, and well, sort of. I mean, something people are kind of coming here to buy work instead mm-hmm. of going right, right, right. there. And, yeah. um, and I guess I wish more collectors yeah. and more curators were, I mean, you don't even have to travel to look yeah. at artists who are making work in, in the heartland. Yeah. You know, who's going to Instagram. So I guess, true. although it's I true. can't give advice about like museum collections, I, mm-hmm. I, I would put it out there that I think mm-hmm. there's some interesting things to see. Right. Well, I will hopefully get down there soon. Uh, I would like to travel a bit more now that my four-year-old is getting older and he's asking to go places as well. Oh, great. Um, So we'll continue our conversation offline. I think we've been speaking for almost 30 minutes, which is generally a good enough time for us to take a break and have some water. Yeah, everybody's uh, sick of me by now. No, I don't think they're (laughs) sick of you. But if anything, we'll have another iteration of this when we meet again. I'd love that. Thank you so so much for inviting me. Yeah, and have a great weekend. And you too. Thanks.